The information provided on this podcast is not legal advice and is intended for the sole purpose of providing education and legal information. Laws change over time, and the information provided on this podcast may not be up to date. We make no warranty, express or implied, regarding the information provided by our team or our guests on this podcast. The information should not be construed as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with us or any of our guests on the podcast. If you would like to consult with an attorney, please call 1-800-VICTIMS. That's 1-800-842-8467 for attorney referral contact information. This podcast provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and information to help educate crime victims on their rights. Some content will include topics and materials that may involve descriptions of violence or assaults which can be distressing to victims and survivors. It may also impact service providers experiencing vicarious trauma. Welcome in for part two of my discussion with Lita Mercado from Waymakers. Uh, are there any other uh, general services that uh, Waymakers offers to the community? Yeah, I think it's important to understand that a part of our role is to also help our victims assert their Marcy's Law rights. So, mm-hmm. of course, Marcy's Law, you know, being the California Victims' Bill of Rights, it, it creates... Um, and protects many of the victims' rights um, that have existed and then were uh, put into place since the Bill of Rights Act of 2008. And victims, as you know, um, don't Mm -hmm. typically have attorneys supporting them through their process. What they have is, you know, a prosecuting team, if it's going through the criminal justice system, uh, that represents the state, and then their victim advocate. So we take very seriously our responsibility to make sure that every victim knows and understands what their rights are and explore their desire to assert those rights because mm-hmm. some of them do need to be formally asserted. And so one of the, the programs and services that we offer at Waymakers is um, we've worked collaboratively with the DA's office to create basically an alert system via the DA's case management um, process. So we alert the prosecutors as to when we have spoken to victims of crime and what Marcy's Law rights they would like to have asserted. So for example, a victim advocate can have a conversation with a victim, let them know what their rights are, including uh, the right to uh, you know, have reasonable notice that a hearing is going to be held, and mm-hmm. including uh, their right to to deliver a victim's impact statement. And after that communication, what we do is we immediately go into the DA's case management log and alert the the prosecuting team that we have had this conversation and that this victim very much wants to know, you know, when every court proceeding is happening and they very much want uh, to make a victim impact statement. And this is held in their electronic files. So now if a prosecutor is in court and the defense perhaps surprisingly starts to share that they'd like to negotiate a plea deal uh, the prosecutor can go to their laptop right there in the courtroom and pull up the information and see we have spoken to this victim and they want to be heard before any decisions are made and so the prosecutor is really on they're, they're on alert and they can share with the defense they can have conversations about a plea deal, that no decisions will be made until the victim is alerted that this is happening and has the opportunity to come in and to be heard. And I mean, I think this is, uh, you know, a a beautiful uh, reflection of how Marcy's Law is supposed to work uh, so that 
everybody knows, you know, the victims are a critical component of this particular criminal, you know, the criminal justice system, and that there needs to be a way to create space for the victims. And um, we do that on a regular basis, um, you know, communicating with victims. In some cases, the victims don't want to be involved in the criminal justice system. They don't, you know, if, if they don't, if they don't have to, they mm-hmm. don't want to go to court. They don't want to have anything to do with this. They just want to know what happened, and we can do that too. I think it's a, a wonderful example of what you were uh, referring to earlier, which is that public partner, um, public private partnership, is, is really what it sounds like. Is another example of that. Exactly. Let's uh, let's switch gears here. How has the um, COVID nineteen pandemic impacted the uh, the services that you've been able to offer um, to the general public? So yeah, the COVID nineteen pandemic has really put a, a wrench in this whole system. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to figure out even where to start. There has been, um, I guess, two things that are important to share. I think the first is the um, Orange County, I know every county has their own process and, and tier, depending on <laughs> what month we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So Orange County has really been um, in a virtual lockdown for many months. Certainly um, on, uh, in, on March 17th, when the entire state was ordered to stay at home, Waymakers imposed a work-from-home uh, temporary COVID plan. So mm-hmm. all of our staff, all of our advocates began working from home offices, and we continue to do so still today. Um, what the evolution of the pandemic has brought us to now, we still work from home, but mm-hmm. we are providing in-person services such as court accompaniment. So if someone is going to, to court and they need support, we will go with them. Um, we're doing crisis response. So we are going out to the field um, upon the request of law enforcement when something has happened um, in a community that they need some assistance with. Um, Mm -hmm. We are um, doing those types of in-person services. But anything that we can do to protect our clients from the, you know, the public health um, issue, we do. So we're doing, you know, telehealth for uh, counseling services, for example. So anything that we can do to keep everyone from having to go out into public spaces we are doing. So I think that's one thing, and and that has been important in the fact that really in March and April, everything went virtual, um, and we have started to evolve into providing more and more in-person services upon the request of of our clients. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the other part that I think is critical is Orange County Superior Court closed down completely Um, for a few months. And so now that the courts have reopened, two things. One is they're not really open to the public. People just don't go walking into the court buildings anymore. They're they're triaging or or rather they're checking to make sure that you have court business um, already pre-approved before you walk into this public space. Mm -hmm. Um, But what this has meant is all of the court proceedings that were postponed in the early days of the pandemic are not, you know, are now on court calendar. But of course, the criminal justice system, even though the courts have closed, the system hasn't stopped and and Mm -hmm. crime hasn't stopped. And so the court is faced with this truly, in my opinion, a crisis of how do they calendar all of those proceedings that were postponed from before and deal with those court proceedings that need to be 
scheduled, um, you know, that have happened most recently. And so um, it's really impacted the court. And what, at least in Orange County, uh, what is happening is we are seeing what, what we're referring to as mandatory settlement conferences. Mm -hmm. And so everything that was set for preliminary hearing or jury trials are now required to do these settlement hearings where, to be quite frank, the intent is to figure out, can we get rid of this case so it doesn't have to proceed in, in the courtroom? Can we come to some sort of negotiated agreement to close this case out and minimize the traffic for the court? And while Waymakers, you know, as, as a as an organization citizen of this community, completely understand the, the obstacles and the complication that the courts are trying to deal with. We also understand what this means for many of our victims is that cases are um, being encouraged, or at least there's a space to encourage, mm -hmm. uh, you know, plea negotiations in some cases that would not have had that experience. Mm. Um, and so, you know, for some victims, this has been this has been good. Uh, you know, the long the long days and weeks and months preparing for trial, um, being eliminated, and having their case, uh, you know, come to a conclusion can be in some cases, you know, a relief. Um, and so that you know, we have seen it go um, in a positive way, and and others, you know, a lot of educating. Um, and support with our clients to help them understand, you know, it's not about the validity of the case. It's not about mm -hmm. um, whether or not anyone believes you. It's simply about logistics. We really need to figure out, you know, what can be uh, avoided to go to trial and what can't, um, and doing a lot of support around that. Um, and this has also meant, um, quite frankly, a strain on victims' rights with regards to um, reasonable notice of proceedings. We mm -hmm. have had a lot of times where we're calling a victim, um, you know, the day a plea deal is trying to be made and saying, hey, it's happening. Do you want to be heard? Because if you do, we can postpone it um, until tomorrow. And mm -hmm. I don't know that anyone would describe that as, you know, reasonable notice, but it's, it's as it's as reasonable as we have on hand. You know, the, the courts aren't planning things out weeks and months ahead. They are doing day by day. And so this is the best that um, we can do. And it's, it's causing a lot of anxiety and strain um, on these victims' rights. But we are working together with our partners at the DA's office to make sure, you know, the victims are notified, to make sure that they do have the opportunity to have their statement heard or read. Um, but it's, it's, it's truly complicated. Um, and another component that has happened that has been uh, a learning curve, I think, for everyone in the criminal justice uh, system is that right now in Orange County, we're live streaming uh, the proceedings mm -hmm. so that they can adhere to the law. You know, that we need to have public mm -hmm. hearings. And so they're doing live streaming. And what this has meant for some of the victims um, especially sexual assault and human trafficking um, and domestic violence. These are victims who have uh, legal rights according to the California Penal Code for the protection of privacy. Now their testimony is live streaming. And, you know, before 
a victim could testify in court and no one's allowed to bring out their camera and record it. But now mm. that it's live streaming, I could, I can record that. I can, I can videotape that on my phone. I mean, there are a wide variety of ways that that could be, um, you know, recorded and made public in other spaces. And um, that's, you know, incredibly alarming. And so we have worked um, and advocated on behalf of many of these victims um, directly with our DA's office to make them make make sure that they are aware that you know a this is happening i can see their face occasionally the court will read their names out loud or the defense attorney will read their names out loud which will then later be stricken from the record but it was just live streamed mm. and so how do i how do we avoid you know outright um violations of these types of rights um and now everyone is you know, thoughtfully thinking these things through in advance, but these are moments that, you know, we just, this is historical, we've never had to do this before, and so once we saw that, or once we experienced that, you know, we immediately went to the DA's office and said, no, like, we need to, we need to make sure that the prosecuting team, you know, has all of the information um, at their disposal to ensure that before, you know, a victim goes up to testify that they state this to the court, you know, they ask the judge to uh, turn the camera slightly away from the victim's face so that her mm -hmm. face isn't on there or, you mm -hmm. know, whatever, whatever needs to be done. And so we have begun to do that. Um, and now, you know, our DAs um, do have all the, all the legal information that they need to fight mm -hmm. for those rights in advance in a way that we've never even thought needed to be done before. Yeah, I, I can potentially see, see the problem. Uh, it certainly wasn't something that was probably well, well thought out uh, when they went to this live streaming model. Mm-hmm. Has, uh, so if anyone in, in our audience wants to contact Waymakers, can you please provide us with um, the best phone number and, and maybe website to do so? Absolutely. So we do have a corporate office, and the telephone number there is area code 949-250-0488. And uh, we have an agency website, so it is waymakersoc.org, and that is waymakers, plural. Um, but I'd like to also share, um, we have this amazing, I refer to it as a landing page. It's um, safewithus.org. And it highlights our public awareness campaigns, has a couple of fantastic uh, public awareness videos. And on that site, it specifically talks about our victim assistance services and provides additional information on how to reach out to us. Because sometimes the Waymakers website um, can be overwhelming with all of the other services that we provide. But either website is an, an excellent way to get more information and to find a way to contact us. Uh, so, so Lita, um, I'm, I'm curious. Now, you occupy this unique space, as, as you called it, between being a uh, nonprofit organization but also providing government services. Um, how does that work with, uh, with confidentiality? That's such a good question. And it is one that we are acutely aware of on a regular basis. Um, and we, we fine-tune our strategies as we go along. But certainly we lean on Marcy's law, right? You know, the right to, to privacy. So in mm -hmm. general, um, we practice um, 
all of our record keeping and, and communication in a way that helps to protect the privacy of our victims. But you're right in the sense that in doing government work and confidentiality, how does that uh, fold into each other? And so as a nonprofit, we do not work for the county. We do not work for the DA's office or for law enforcement. Um, and so we uh, stick uh, we stick to the California Penal Code, mm-hmm. which specifically outlines some protections uh, for communication for sexual assault victims, for human trafficking victims, and for domestic violence victims. And so we work really hard with our teams. We have um, staff who qualify as state-certified sexual assault crisis counselors, and we also have uh, staff that qualify as human trafficking caseworkers. And in both of those cases, what that means is if a victim of either of those crimes works with those staff, then their communication is um, is privileged per the law. And so we stick to those guidelines. We make sure that law enforcement and our DA partners know that those are our guidelines, so there's no confusion about it in you know in the future. We let our clients know that those are our guidelines, um, but. We do certainly have moments where there are cases or situations where that issue can be can be pressed. Of mm-hmm. course, you know there's the, the Brady Rule, um, mm-hmm. and so as a nonprofit, we are not a part of the prosecution team. So we, you know, we we're, we're just we're we're not. We're a nonprofit providing victim services, um, and we do refer back and forth, and we do communicate case status updates but we're not a part of the team. We're not obtaining information you know, on behalf of, um, of the crime. We're always referring back to the investigator if something comes up in our communication with a client or a victim, if they you know, have something more to say or something more to add, um, then we coordinate communication with the investigator and let the victim and the investigator have those discussions. Um, so there certainly have been times where we have been pressed. Um, our office, it's not uncommon to receive a subpoena for files. Um, you know, it's not super common, but it's not uncommon. And we mm-hmm. respond regularly with the legal codes identifying the victim's privilege, and we assert the victim's rights in all of those cases. Um, and, you know, so I'm going to knock on wood right now. So far, we have been mm-hmm. really incredibly mm-hmm. successful because everyone has really been um, really focused on victims' rights. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wins if the victim's rights have been um, impeded upon. You know, the criminal justice system doesn't win. Everyone's rights needs to be um, adhered to the defendant's sure. rights, the victim's rights. So everyone works really hard. Um, and it is it is it is tricky. But it's, again, maybe one of those benefits of having uh, a nonprofit partner is that you know we can work with a client in a way that um, works to. Um, make them comfortable, help to um, create a safe space for them, knowing you know we're not turning around and sharing this information with really anybody. We're just solely here for the victims, for what they need, what they want, how they want us to advocate for them. That's our primary purpose and goal, and we, we stick to that. And um, luckily for all of us in the Orange County community, um, all of the partners in the criminal justice system really respect and honor that and do everything that we can to make sure everyone's rights are adhered to. And just for our, our audience to be clear, uh, when you mentioned the Brady rule, is it fair to say that that rule requires um, government-based victim advocates 
uh, to turn over any um, evidence that's helpful to the defendant? Would that be a fair way to summarize that? Yeah, I think that's a fair way. I think, uh, to be more clear, most of the county-based, quote-unquote, advocates actually work for the DA's office. So they're hired by their county DA's office. You know, they're paid by the county DA's office. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you work for the DA's office, you are, you know, a part of the prosecuting team. And so they would need to share that information with the DA's um, so that that information is available to the defense if needed. And as a nonprofit, since we don't work for them, um, we don't fall under that rule. And now I think it's important to understand, you know, a lot of advocates work, both the government-based and the community-based, mm -hmm. um, really has very little to do with information about the crime. Advocates are not, you know, asking questions about what happened and, you know, why, where, and how. We're, we're not exploring those things. So I think in either case, community or government-based, the advocates really aren't receiving information that um, you know would would impact the 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 investigation of the case or the prosecution of the case. There's mm -hmm. really a narrow focus on you know how do we emotionally support you? Um, how do we you know make sure you have what you need to understand what's happening at the court? And so with that narrow focus, both community and government-based advocates really can avoid um, falling into accidentally hearing information that mm -hmm. perhaps needs to be um that that may be discoverable but in the end that's you know that's that's pretty accurate if you work for a government-based agency um it's likely that you're actually a part of the da's office and therefore the information that the victims share does get shared with the da's office matter of fact i think that just reminds me you know we do keep our client files um I guess for lack of a better better word, but the files are really more about um, what is the case status update and mm -hmm. um, and you know when did we speak to them? We we don't even collect detailed information about you know the contents of communication um, mm -hmm. or or anything in detail. And again, that's for all of our victims because we want to adhere to Marcy's law and respect that our victims have. Um, you know, the right to privacy, and there's just no reason to, you know, we're not therapists, we're not clinicians, mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. don't need to, you know, track someone's, you know, th their statements and, and how they're presenting, we just need to know, you know, have we let them know about their victim's rights, you know, mm -hmm. which victim's rights do they want to know, we keep track of that, and other than that, um, it's just um, advocacy services, and so that's another way that we're able to help, you know, make sure that the, the victim's privacy is maintained. Lita, thank you so much for uh, taking your time and coming on the podcast and, and spending some time with us today. It's been my great pleasure. Again, thank you so much for including Waymakers in this conversation, Nima. We really appreciate it. Now that you've heard the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. And if you have any questions about any of the information you heard today, you can reach the Victims of Crime Resource Center at 1-800-842-8467. Or you can reach us online at 1-800-VICTIMS.org or Facebook at Victims of Crime Resource Center or Twitter at 1-800-VICTIMS. If you haven't had a chance, please take a look at some of the other episodes in our series. Thanks for listening.